Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning, we are continuing the sermon series that we began last week that we're calling Winning, Seven Messages on Overcoming. And as we go through this series, we're walking through what are known as the seven letters to the seven churches that are captured in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. And it, we're calling it Winning because in all of these messages, they're aimed at helping the church overcome, helping the church overcome fierce opposition and intense temptation in a time of persecution where it was hard or even dangerous to be a Christian, as well as in this time of relative wealth and luxury and opulence where there was a temptation to perhaps compromise on some things to enjoy the niceties that the Roman Empire and its peace offered. Jesus has a lot to say to these churches. He offers some words of affirmation and encouragement. He offers others words of rebuke and warning. He offers a call to all of them to win and to overcome. And to those who win, he makes promises. And, and all of these messages were captured in the book of Revelation and would have circulated to all of these churches. So really, each message to each church is really a message to all of the churches. And as a result, also to us. And so, we want to seek to hear Jesus' message about how we can win in our day and the things that matter most, the matters of life, of eternity, of faith. As we move into this message, I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you were doing something hard or something that was unpleasant, and then you found out as you were coming to the end of it that it was just going to get harder and worse before it got better. The simplest example I could think of was, <clears throat> was doing the dishes. Like, it is not my delight to do the dishes. It is my delight to eat. And so the dishes are a necessary evil. But I was thinking about how many times I've been doing the dishes and I've been getting through it and finally getting right down to the end and I'm like, okay, I'm almost done. And just to turn around and realize all of those dishes that were left on the stove that I hadn't gotten to, and those are the hard ones. It's like, oh, man. This, this really is a very weak example, but it, it is an example of what the church in Smyrna, this church that we're going to hear the message for today, what they were experiencing. Things were hard, but it was only going to get harder. And Jesus has a message for them and for us today. And so let's jump in. We're going to read from Revelation chapter 2. If you want, you can follow along on the screen, but let's hear Jesus' words speaking to us this morning. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. 
as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence, this time that you knew would be carved out in our lives and our schedule, and so we ask that you would send your spirit, that we would have ears to hear what the spirit, your spirit, says to the churches, that we could respond and we could overcome. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus starts this message to the church in Smyrna the way he starts all of the messages to all of the churches. He identifies himself, and he does that using some of the imagery that comes from actually Revelation chapter 1. And so he makes it clear, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. And so he's identified himself and then very quickly jumps right into the reality of the situation for the church in Smyrna. He says, I know it's hard. I know. I know the affliction and your poverty. The the word affliction there actually literally means pressure or to to press in on, pressing together from the outside. And actually yesterday I was trying to do some iron-on patches you know what I'm talking about? The, you know, really, it's a very simple thing. You've got these patches, you get a hot iron, you've got your piece of cloth, boom, all together. Pretty simple, right? But this word came to mind while I was tr- trying to do this because I was being afflicted. I couldn't make it work. No matter how hard I tried, the edges kept peeling up, and eventually, even after I was done, they popped off so easily. But I was also thinking about this word because I was afflicting the patch as well. That image, right, I was pressing down on it with all of my weight and my strength because I was going to get this thing to stick. I was going to win, right? And of course I lost. But I was trying to get it to stay, squeezing. And this is the image for the church in Smyrna. This is the one to grab onto. They're being pressed by a hot iron, afflicted. See, Smyrna was the center of emperor worship in the Roman Empire. That this message from Jesus was given probably in roughly the 90s A.D., but way back in 23 A.D., Smyrna had petitioned to be the first city to build a temple for emperor worship. And out of all the cities that wanted it, 11 other cities wanted it, only Smyrna was given the honor. And they remained incredibly loyal to the Roman Empire. And so later on, in the late 80s or 90s A.D., when Emperor worship became not just an option among other options as a religious choice, but became an edict, a required mandate of all who lived in the empire. Smyrna probably embraced this with zeal and was happy to enforce it. And so it was enforced most powerfully with the threat of death. And so all people now in the Roman Empire are required to proclaim Caesar is Lord and offer a pinch, a pinch of incense as an offering to him. Well, clearly the church was not participating in this offering because the church has a a statement of faith. They had the most foundational beginning statement of faith for the earliest days of the church was this simple statement, Jesus is Lord. And here's the problem. If Jesus is Lord, it's impossible for Caesar to be Lord. And so they were forced by pressure to pick. They had to decide, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be Caesar? And according to this message from Jesus, the authorities had help catching these Christians who refused to proclaim Caesar. 
Jesus said to the church, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are actually a synagogue of Satan. I mean, it sounds like pretty harsh words, doesn't it? But what Jesus is saying, he's saying that the Jewish people think that they're the true people and the true worshipers of God because of their heritage, because of the law, but they aren't. As Paul put it actually in Romans chapter 2, he said, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not the written code. And Jesus is affirming this, that there are these Jews that have actually become in Smyrna a synagogue of Satan because they were probably doing what Satan does. Satan literally means accuser. And so these people were probably accusing these Christians and slandering them for not worshiping the emperor. And this, is, this mattered because actually the Jewish people had arranged a deal. They'd come to an agreement with the Roman Empire where they didn't actually have to participate in emperor worship. They could do their own thing. They were immune. But see, the Christians, the church in Smyrna, they believed that they were a part of the Jewish faith. They were an extension of the Jewish faith. The Christians understood that their faith in Jesus was and is faith in the Messiah, the one whom the Jews were and even are still longing for, that he is the one, Jesus is the one who was promised throughout the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. They believe deeply that he is the one whom the prophets foretold would come, that he is the one who would be the true king, the true hope, the redeemer, the savior, the suffering servant, the healer. They believed that Jesus is the one through whom God would pour out his blessings on all nations of earth where there would be restoration, there would be peace of mind, of soul, of body, of relationships, that there would be restoration of all things, reconciliation of all things through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So the Christians thought that they were a part of an extension of the Jewish faith. But it was the Jews who had rejected the Christians because they had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so they were probably going to the authorities in Smyrna, and they were accusing them, saying, no, they're not Jewish, so they should be participating in the emperor worship, but they're not. Go get them, and go get them they did. And the persecution of the church was intense, the hot iron pressing in on them. And Jesus says to this church, I know your affliction and your poverty See, they weren't just afflicted. Physically, they were poor, materially. And this was odd because Smyrna was a a wealthy city. It it was a port city with this incredible harbor, and so there was all this trade that came in and out. They were known for great wine, which was often used medicinally and other products. And so it was an incredibly wealthy city and a wealthy people, but right here in all of this wealth, the church was poor. See, they were not in a place of privilege, they were persecuted not just physically but also economically. They were outcasts. And it's to this people, Jesus says, I know that you are poor. I know your poverty. Yet you are rich. Like, wait, so which is it, Jesus? Are they poor or are they rich? Well, I mean, clearly Jesus isn't talking about money when he says they're rich. But he is saying you're rich in all sorts of other ways. You're rich toward God. 
in a deep and abiding relationship with the God and creator of the universe who loves you and you respond to his love with faith, with trust, and love back. You're rich in the promises of God. If there was some sort of like accounting where you could keep track of the promises that God had made to them and for them that they could count on, man, their accounts would be exploding with the promises of God. The promises of restoration, of forgiveness, of wholeness, of body, mind, heart, soul, relationships, protection, security, comfort, provision, acceptance, meaning, peace, love, and the list goes on and on and on. The accounts were overflowing with the promises of God. Secured by Jesus himself, the one who died and lives again. That it was his death and his resurrection. They're what secured all of the promises of God. It wasn't because the church was perfect by any means. It was because Jesus was perfect and offered his life to make sure that their accounts could be overflowing. And they're rich because of it. So Jesus is saying to the church, I know it's hard. You're afflicted and poor, yet you're rich. And it's hard, but oh yeah, it's about to get harder. What, Jesus? Really? I mean, come on. I mean, I, I don't think that that's what we'd expect to hear. I mean, I think if we're honest about our faith and our expectations of God, wouldn't we actually expect to hear Jesus say something like, yeah, I know it's been so hard for you, but you know what? I'll come and I'll take care of it for you. It's going to get better. I'll deal with it. And if I'm honest, I think often I say to God, God, it's been so hard. You know it's been so hard. You know what I have been through. Can't I just get a break? And when the break doesn't come, often it creates for us a crisis of faith, doesn't it? I went through this hard time. And it got harder and, and you didn't show up the way I expected you to. Where, where are you, God? And it's tempting to turn away in those moments. And this is the moment that the church in Smyrna is facing. It's been hard. Don't be afraid, though, about what you are about to suffer. Yeah, it's going to get worse, but don't be afraid. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Now, we don't really like tests, do we? I mean, there's a few sick ones that, out there that... Never mind, we won't, we won't have you identify yourselves. But. No, we don't really like tests because so often tests reveal things about us, don't they? They reveal our inadequacies. They reveal the holes. They reveal where we come up short. They reveal the things that we try to hide. Now, tests can also reveal how well prepared we are. But Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to get tested so that what is in you can really be revealed so that what you really believe, your true faith that is at the center of you can be revealed. What it is that you truly rely on for security, comfort, hope, meaning, all of this in a very uncertain world, it will be revealed and you will see it clearly. Is it Caesar or is it Jesus? And he's saying it's the devil that is going to actually do this. This testing, this persecution. See, the devil is at work in all these things. Often, I think, in our modern and scientific way of addressing life and the world, we, we often will write the devil out of the script. And we'll come up with another explanation 
for why things are hard, why there is, is suffering and affliction. And yet constantly, consistently in the scripture, and Jesus tells us that there is a personal force of evil working against you working against the life that God intends so that you will suffer, so that you will be tested and you will be separated from the purposes of God for your life, so that you will ultimately turn your back on Jesus in your doubt, in your frustration, and you will head down another road, another path that ultimately only leads to your pain and your destruction. And we are naive if we forget this. Peter warns in in, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, a prowling lion looking to devour you, and we are are naive if we forget that the real enemy is the devil in our lives. See, we have a tendency to misplace who the real enemies are. We tend to think it's that person that wronged me, that they did this to me, they're my enemy. They turned their back on me, or it's that person who had power or authority and they'd made this decision that had this negative impact in my life, they're the enemy. Or it's this political party, or it's this even this nation or that nation, they're the enemies. But we forget behind all of this, there is a personal force of evil, the devil seeking to destroy life, including yours. And the church in Smyrna is facing this reality and Jesus is saying, don't be naive but also don't be afraid. I think it's hard for us to really even wrap our heads around and imagine the kind of suffering and persecution that Jesus was warning the church in Smyrna about. I mean, the reality is so many of us have it easy, don't we? I mean, and in fact, actually, it's become part of our expectation of faith. If I am good enough and faithful enough, then things are gonna work out and it's gonna be nice and easy. And this message from Jesus to the church in Smyrna says, yeah, no. That's not a realistic expectation. Matter of fact, it's a completely wrong expectation. In John chapter 15, Jesus said to his disciples, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. See, that suffering and persecution because of our faith should actually be an expectation. And yet we spend so much time, I think especially as Americans, we spend so much of our time and effort trying to avoid suffering in all of its forms. And we're trying to avoid it so completely that it's gotten blended into the, in this weird way with our faith. Right? That, that then we try to avoid the suffering that is naturally and supposed to be connected to our faith when we take a stand for Jesus Christ as the source of hope and life. And Jesus is talking to a church in Smyrna that understands there is no wiggle room on this issue. That they know this is life and death, literally. Caesar is Lord, easy street. Jesus is Lord, suffering and persecution. It really is that simple. And and I know that the reality is, even in America, that there is persecution and there is suffering in our lives because of that statement of faith that Jesus is Lord. I know some of you have been made fun of, laughed at and rejected in school. Some of you have been accused of being narrow-minded, of being bigoted, of being hateful, of being ignorant, of being plain old dumb, simply for taking a stand with Jesus. And I know it is becoming increasingly difficult for our kids to take a stand for Jesus in school. They are becoming 
more and more the targets of persecution, being ostracized, being condemned, and often sanctioned by the system. Because remember, there is an enemy working within the system. There is an agenda here. And I know some of you have been persecuted at work passed over for promotions and other opportunities because you've chosen to stand on the reality of the ethics of the kingdom of God rather than the reality of the ethics of the kingdoms of this world that would seek to get ahead at all costs. I know some of you have been persecuted in your families where you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and maybe your faith has no other, or your family has no other believers in it and it's created a divide and a rift between you. It doesn't always happen, but man, it is heartbreaking when it does. And Jesus says to expect even that. He said, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death because of me. I know that some are experiencing the reality of affliction, the pressing of the iron, and it is hard. And Jesus in this letter is speaking to you in that reality. But I think another way that we, especially as Americans, should, can take this letter and do something significant with it in our lives today is to not forget our brothers and sisters in faith. Peter, again, in 1 Peter 5, 9 said, resist him, meaning the devil, <clears throat> resist him, standing in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Do you know the sufferings? of our brothers and sisters in the faith around the world? Do you? If you don't really know, there are lots of organizations that can help you figure it out. Here are the stories. Open Doors is one of them. Voice of the Martyrs is another. There are others out there. But the reality is that the suffering of Christians simply for their faith has never been as bad and as rampant in this world as it is today. According to Open Doors, in 2021, as far as exact numbers of people that they could really count, names that they can actually count, they can see that there are a whole lot more that they probably can't account for, that in 2021, almost 6,000 Christians died just because they were Christian. And over 360 million faced what they call high levels of persecution, meaning they're facing constant oppression, being imprisoned, discriminated against, violently attacked, kidnapped, human, human trafficked, stories of being exiled to remote villages in North Korea, ostracized from society and economic participation in Iran, being burned alive in Egypt, and the stories go on and on and on simply because they have refused to say Caesar is Lord and are standing on the firm foundation that Jesus is Lord. And the stories are heart-wrenching and they are also awe-inspiring as we can see and hear the faith like the church in Smyrna. The ones to whom Jesus said, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Around the world today, that promise means something. That promise of eternal life that will be their victor's crown, their reward is fueling hope and faith in the face of persecution. And Jesus told them, you will suffer for 10 days. Now like so many things in the book of Revelation, we're not to take that 10 days as a literal 10 days. We're not sure exactly if it's long or a short period of time, but here's what's clear. It is a limited period of time. There is an end point to all of the suffering 
That Jesus is saying, because I am the first and the last, that's how he introduced himself. In other words, nothing has happened that, has, that I wasn't there for. Jesus said he existed before all creation. He will be there in the end of history when he makes all things new and everything in between, there is nothing that he is not present for. Everything in between is in his will. There is nothing that can happen that's outside his knowledge. There's nothing that can happen that's, not, that's outside what he allows and is his will. There's nothing that can happen outside of his presence with you no matter what you're walking through. He is the first and the last. He is also the one who died and lives again. And so he can make that ultimate promise to the church in Smyrna and to us, to those who overcome. To those who overcome, he says, will not, they will not be hurt at all by the second death. And that gets what we're winning at, what Jesus is, is getting at with this church. He's saying if you can overcome the affliction that is testing and squeezing you, the pressure that's coming from family, friends, businesses, go- governments, from the devil himself, if you can overcome the hot pressing iron seeking to, call, turn you, to cause you to turn your back on Jesus, especially when life is hard and then seems to get harder in the doubts, the frustrations, the pain, the fear, the suffering, and it gets worse. If you can overcome that pressure to profess profess someone or something else as Lord and hold on to Jesus, then you will overcome and you will win the crown of life, eternal life. You will not be hurt by the second death. Well, what about the first death? Well, the first death is physical death. And the reality is that might hurt. Some will die in terrible and brutal ways. But even if that's the reality of what happens in this physical life, you will not be hurt by the second death. That death that comes after the resurrection, on that day when Jesus comes back and that God will bring judgment on all things. Some, we're told, will be thrown into what John captured later in the book of Revelation that he calls the lake of fire. Some debate whether it's literal or, not, literal or not. It doesn't really matter. What's clear is it's awful. The second death is terrible. And it's, but if we hold on to Jesus, we will not be hurt by the second death. How can we hold on? How can we hold on to Jesus more and more, especially and even when it gets harder and harder? We aren't going to overcome simply by beating our chests and you know, puffing up our faith on our own power, we will overcome when we realize that as we suffer, we share in the very suffering of Christ. And we consider the reality of the suffering of Jesus Christ. That in his suffering, those who are a part of the synagogue are those who slandered and accused him, turning him over to the Roman authorities who took him and brutally beat him and crucified him on the cross. When we realize that in his suffering, he was not just rejected by his friends, but that he is rejected by me. When I refuse to proclaim with my actions, with my behavior, that he is Lord in my life, as I have done over and over again. When I have looked to other things, and rather than leaning on his promises, which he has secured for me, I've looked elsewhere for security, protection, meaning, peace, hope, joy, all of these things. When I see that his suffering on the cross of what he endured for me, I hold on. I hold on to Jesus in a different way. And we will win when we see clearly what Jesus has suffered for us and that what he has suffered, man, compared to what we're suffering, we're suffering nothing. 
He is the one who died and lives again. Hold on to him and we will overcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that in our lives we have turned to other things and proclaimed as Lord someone or something else. We want to turn back to you and we want to hold on to you, Jesus, as Lord and the one who secures all our promises, all the promises of God for us. Lord, we also today want to remember our brothers and sisters in faith around the world who are suffering, who are being persecuted in ways that we don't even want to have to acknowledge or imagine. God, we pray that you would bring protection, that you would increase their faith, increase their trust in you, increase their witness to the hope that they have that Jesus is Lord in the face of terror and brutality. And Lord God, may you strengthen them from within with their faith as they suffer May they know and experience the reality of sharing in the suffering of Christ that they also, that we also may share in the resurrection life through Jesus Christ who is our Lord, our one and only true hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.